chapter number 17 tonight. <clears throat> Luke chapter number 17. Amen. There is another water down here, so I'll assume it's mine. <laughs> Luke chapter number 17. <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse number 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, <clears throat> excuse me, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show thyself unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when they saw that, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face and his, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that are returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Brother Stahl, would you pray for the message tonight, brother? Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we just uh, <coughs> now and ask for your guidance and your help, that you would take everything away from us, that uh, we can hear what you have to say. Give Brother Joe the liberty and the knowledge and the strength to tell what you want us to hear. Lord, I pray that you put it in our hearts and our minds that we will use it and not sin against thee, Lord, and give him all the mercy and liberty that you can muster upon him, Lord, and give him a double portion of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I can't help but after the meeting that we just had, um, I, I, I can't. It's hard to put into words how much I appreciate the local church. Now, there's, there's a part of me that I feel like, you know, I, I say this kind of stuff uh, a lot, but the truth of the matter is, is that I really do appreciate now, probably more than ever in my life, having a good local church to go to. Okay, I, I see what God has done now in the time that I have been saved and the Lord has been dealing with me and the way that even you could, you could there'd be flaws in the church that I was a part of at the time and still in the flaws of that church, God used a local church to inch me along to where he wanted me to be. Uh, I, I think about looking through the crowd tonight. There's people at all different stages of Christianity that we're talking to tonight. And guess what? The Lord is using a local church tonight, right now, in our midst to minister to you and help to get you where you need to be in life somewhere down the road. You don't know where God's going to take you. You have no idea what God's going to do. You have, Hey, I'll go off to say this. You have no idea sometimes what God can do. We don't have a vision of that. As Brother Spurgeon said during the meeting, he says, do you think for one second as he's sitting in Montgomery County Jail uh, looking at seven, nine years in prison that he was thinking he someday would be an evangelist preaching across America telling about the goodness of Jesus Christ? It doesn't even cross your mind. It doesn't even cross your mind. And you know what? We read the first few verses of this and I can relate, man. <laughs> 
I started uh, last Sunday morning in Sunday school and I preached on, uh, on uh, the called out assembly, right? The church in the wilderness, that ecclesia, the church in the wilderness, the called out assembly. So we pick it up here and we don't have a called out. We have a cast out assembly. <laughs> Amen. I relate to them. A bunch of lepers cast out from society. Right. Because of the disease that they had sometimes no uh, 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 influence of their own or no uh, fault of their own. They simply got this disease for whatever reason. And now they are outcasts of society. But in some way, shape or form, as God tends to do, he has an amazing way to take even the outcasts of society and find them in some small group somewhere together. <laughs> You know what? I, th I find myself along there. I, I, I still, I, man, I still have a struggle with sin. I don't know about you. I still struggle with sin. I struggle with my mind. I struggle with controlling my thoughts. I, listen, I struggle with controlling my motives. I struggle, listen, I struggle with the, with the, the burdens of the flesh. I do. And you know what? Although I'm cleansed and I'm saved, I know that there's a difference between my soul and my body, right? My soul has been cut away and it's eternal and it's going to go to heaven someday. But I'm fully aware that my flesh is not saved yet. I'm fully aware that there's an old man that wants to war against that new man within, right? I, I'm fully aware of that battle, as Paul so eloquently outlines in Romans chapter 7, those things that I would not, that I do, and those things that I do not, yeah. I do. <laughs> I do the things I don't want to do. And although I may be spiritually and, and eternally healed from my leprosy, I know I still got scars and white marks all over. <laughs> Amen. But you want to know something? So do we all. You know what the Lord's done? The Lord's brought us together as an assembly nonetheless. In spite of what we may have in our paths and in spite of what we may have done or decisions we have made, for whatever reason, we find ourselves in a called out or cast out assembly here at Anchor Baptist Church. And you know what? Even though I struggle with sin and I'm so far from where I wish I was and what I want to be, I'm glad that the Lord put around some people of like passions and like struggles Amen. that we can at least war together. Amen. Amen. That we can at least encourage one another when we're down. I think about these lepers and yeah, they're cast out and yeah, they have sin and they're, and they're not able to be a part of the normal functions of uh, society. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way that you're just like, you know, you go to work and it's like, I'm just not, I can't function like they function. I don't belong there and I don't belong here and I'm just kind of an outcast. And then you come in here and you know what? They, they had 10 of them, man. Notice it's not a lot. It's just a little. But the Lord brought them together. And even in the midst of their warring against their flesh and their loathing of their flesh, the Lord etched out just this little fellowship that they could have. That's just like the Lord. Isn't it? That's just like the Lord that he would just bring a couple of them together and say, you know what? It's one thing. Yeah, it stinks that we're outcasts, but at least we got each other. 
Amen? It wasn't the, wasn't the whole theme of the meeting really at towards, as, as it worked through. And, and that's how meetings go. You know, they, they have a starting point and they work through and then they come to a crescendo. And that thing is, is, man, we need to be of one. We need to be a unified body. Right? Walking in lockstep with one another in whatever capacity the Lord has you in and walking with one another. I can see these ten lepers, although their life was miserable and every time they saw somebody, it was unclean, unclean, stay away, stay away, I'm unclean, don't come near me, I can't be close to you, I can't be within the camp. But yet still, together, they had some fellowship. They, did, they were outcasts from the world, but yet in their group, they had fellowship. I mean, I relate with that. And I'm thankful for God putting local churches in my life throughout the years to help me in whatever stage of life I was in. And you know what I know for a fact? That whatever happens to me in the future, good, bad, or indifferent, I know this, God will use a local church to get me to where I need to go. And whatever it is I face, I know that if I stay in the will of God, if I stay in the will of God, you know what I know? I'll be a part of a local church. Because you can't, here, here's a bull statement, we'll, we'll, let's, let's keep a tally, <laughs> right? You can't be in the will of God and be out of a local church. Amen. You like that one? You cannot, hear me out, you cannot be in the will of God and be out of a local church. Now you say, well, that's pretty closed-minded. There's people that wish that they had a local church they could go to. Right. There's okay. I, I get that. Okay. But you want to know something to those that are out there? You know what they, especially in the day of modern technology, you have the ability to still be a part of a local church. Even if you don't have one physically, you can go to where here's the question. Where are you getting fed? Cause guess what? God is going to use a local church to speak to you and to help you and to guide you, to encourage you. You need that especially in the world in which we live in today. Amen. You need it now more than ever. And we say that. You could have said that 50 years ago and you'd been right too. <laughs> right? That's, that's the glory of uh, preaching the Bible is that it's, it's never out of date. It's never out of style. You can preach the same thing that 50, 50 years ago as you do now. And guess what? It still makes good down-home country sense. And you know what? These, these 10 lepers from verse from verse 11 to verse number 14, you know what we find? We find the common thrust of individuals in a local church. You know what we find? We, listen, as you get into local church, as you get into church, as you start to get into this thing called Christianity, I, I, I mean, I've done it and, I've, and I have done it and I, I do it even to this day sometimes. I get bogged down in the doing stuff. Right? You know what we see in verses 12 through 14 of this passage? We see initially a testing of their faith. Right? A testing of their faith. We understand, listen, what, this, what the end of this story uh, uh, shows us. We're aware of that. All of us have heard the, the, the sermon on where are the nine and, and the being thankful. And I get that. And we'll get there. Right. But I know this, that there's kind of like this, this first thing that they that they encounter here when they encounter Jesus Christ. And uh, that is first Jesus Christ tests their faith. You know what? I would say this. These 10 lepers, they look a lot like really, really good Baptist church members. They really do. They really, really do. They hey, how about this one? They desired 
Jesus Christ. They desired him. Look in verse number 12. It says, as he entered into a certain village, they met him. Right? They, he, they, he comes into their village. You, know, you have to understand. He comes into their village. He, didn't, he wasn't posting on Facebook Live where he was going. Nobody knew where he was going. But you know what? He comes into the village and they hear about it and they say, you know what? I've heard some stories about that guy. I want to go meet this guy. I want to go see him. And they had a desire to get up to where they were and move the way that they had to move in and out of those people. And you know what they did? They approached him. They desired him. Isn't that what we always talk about? How much do you want Jesus? Well, if you're a good church member, you're a good Christian, you know what you want? You want Jesus. And they did. They wanted him. In, in, uh, in um, verse 12, you know what they also did? They respected him. There's a lot to be said about someone who just respects Jesus Christ. Right? You know, your world, they don't respect Jesus Christ. It's one thing to not be religious. Understand? It's one thing to not be religious, and it's another thing to be completely disrespectful to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a track uh, a long time ago. They probably still print it. I don't know if it was printed out of Bible Baptist or if it was a Fellowship Track League track. I can't remember. But it said, God's last name is not damn. <laughs> I was like, man, <laughs> that's a mouthful, right? But you think about, you think about I love what I, what I always get a kick out of is, is you know, folks that, you know, they, they think that you're crazy for believing in the Lord and going to church and being a Christian. It's funny to me how many times they take the Lord's name in vain. I don't understand that. If, listen, how come, how come you don't say any other religious leader's name when you want to cuss? You don't slam your finger and say, oh, Muhammad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you don't get cut off in traffic and say, you know, Buddha. <laughs> you don't do that. Why not? There you go. Why not? There ain't nothing behind their names. How come, the, how, how come, how come you can say Jesus Christ in the form of a cuss word and, all of a, and, and, and it carries weight to it? And people go, ooh, awfully edgy. How come, how come, I remember uh, my stepdad one time, we we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to some theme park or whatnot, and, uh, and he said, listen, I'll allow you to cuss on the, uh, on the, on the roller coasters. He says, when you go down the big hill, because I was never, I'd never go, I was scared to go on roller coasters and that kind of thing. And so he said, hey, listen, <laughs> I'll let you cuss when we go down the big hill. And so, man, we, so I was like, okay. So we get ratcheted up, you know, and I just turned the sky blue when we tied that thing down, you know, and you think every word that came to mind and beep, 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 you know, and I remember, uh, I remember one time we were going to the farm one, one, one morning and, uh, you know, he, he, he was, you know, telling me that, you know, he didn't think that the word, uh, the word damn was a cuss word, right? And, uh, and so, and so at that point I tried to fit that word in every sentence that I could possibly imagine. Now, I wasn't in church at the time. You guys got to realize how I was raised. I wasn't raised like some of you were raised. And so for me, I thought that was cool. And so I was putting that thing in every sentence that I could think of. And now, now mind you, he's still not saved to this day. And I remember we're sitting in that old Dodge pickup truck heading down to milk cows that morning. And I, and I, and I put God and that word in the same, in the, right back to back. And he said, hey, wait a second. Now that's a cuss word. 
I was like, wait a second. What do you what do you mean? That's a if I say GD back and forth, that's a cuss word. But if I just say D in and of itself, it's not a cuss word. How come? That's a lost man telling you that there's power when you say those two things back to back. Right? These men had respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know? The Bible says in verse 12 that they stood afar off. You ever, you ever catch that? They came and they said, and they said, hey, listen, we have some issues and we believe that you are who you say you are. And we're just going to stay back because we don't want to encroach upon you because that would be disrespectful. We're going to keep our distance as we should according to the law of Moses. We're not rebels. We're not rebels. You want to know where we run, we run amiss sometimes in the local churches when we start to think of ourselves as outside of some of the parameters of decent behavior that's inside the church. The Bible tells us that we should learn how to behave ourselves in the house of God. We need, to have, we need to approach him with respect. Pastor was alluding to this morning just how in the old, and, and, you know, a few years ago, you know, you put your Sunday best on. I'm not here preaching about clothes tonight. I don't care. What I'm saying to you, can, can we please divorce that from what I'm about to say? I'm not being legalistic in the sense that, oh, you need to have a suit and tie on or a nice dress to come to church. I know I have to preface that or else I'll lose three quarters of you in here. But listen. What I'm trying to say is, is that there is a mentality that as I approach the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be at my best behavior and I want to get in line with what's appropriate because I respect him. Amen. Because I respect him. And these men, although a mess, when they approach the Lord Jesus Christ, they respected him as a good church member should. I, you should respect the things of God. To this day, I don't like putting stuff on top of my Bible. Amen. Listen, is there, you watch, one of you will come by my, my pew and they're like, you put the hymnal on top of your Bible, you're a hypocrite, you know. Listen, I, sometimes it happens, I get that. But when I go home at night and I put my Bible on my desk or on my, on my stand next to my bed, nothing's on top of it. When I go to work and stuff like that, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had, you know, an invoice or a check or a receipt or something like that. And I'll put my Bible down and I'll put that thing on top of my Bible. And the Lord says, what, is that more important than your Bible? And I'll go, no, Lord, and I'll just shove it underneath, <laughs> you know. You say, you say I, well, that's, that's, that's crazy. I understand that. That's just how I think. When I was in preaching class down in Pensacola, I never showed up to a preaching class without a suit and tie on. Not one time. Not one time, even when I knew I wasn't preaching. And I was made fun of. Well, here's Joe. It's Friday night, wearing a suit, wearing, you know, Mr. Holy Roller. I got made fun of. You know, I watched, I watched guys, man, and I'm not saying that they were bad or they were wrong. Maybe they just got off of work. But I watched guys get up there and flip-flops and holy jeans and preach. Yeah, it's just Bible class. It's just five minutes, just a 10-minute sermon. When I, when I realized that I was called to preach, it was like, I'm approaching this thing differently. This is a different thing. I started viewing church as, oh, this is a big deal. I started viewing it as, I need to have respect, not for the office necessarily, oh, I'm a preacher, but no, this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so when I approach it, I want to approach it not in rebellion. I can dress however I want. I can talk however I want. I can do whatever I want. That's the attitude of most. Not these guys. Just some lepers, man. Just some stinking lepers, missing a bunch of fingers, all kinds of flaws. You could point out their flaws so easily. It was visible all over them. But man, when they approached Jesus Christ, boy, they had some respect. I look at that. I look at that with young people. When we go to youth camp, you know what I look for? I look for the amount of respect young men have toward preachers and towards the services. Same thing with the ladies. Respect church. You respect going into a church service. How about this? Respect yourself enough. Right? I look for that stuff. They respect the Lord Jesus Christ. How about this one? They called on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were praying up a storm. Right? In verse number 13, they were praying and they lifted up their voices. And that's what we should be. We should be praying. We should be lifting up our voices. Oh, God, help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. Have mercy on us. Help us. I can't do it on my own. Help me, Lord. That's one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible. Peter's sinking and he lifts his hand and says, help me. Right? It's the greatest prayer you can pray sometimes. There's been times in my life I'm down on my face. I tell the Lord, Lord, I have no idea how to pray right now. I have no idea what to say. If there was a magical, like, you know, like, you know, some, some kind of like ritualistic prayer that I would pray that would solve my problem, I would pray it a hundred times. But I don't know what to say. And I found myself on my face before for a long time saying this, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And all of a sudden a tear will come and say, Lord, help me. Help me, God. Sometimes that's all you can get out. You say, what are they, what are they screaming? What are they, what are they praying? Master, have mercy on us. Have mercy. Just have mercy. Ever been there before? Lord, you can see how bad I am. Don't you know how bad I am? Everybody in this place can see how bad I am. How much more can you see? I've got nothing to offer you. I can't pay you money. I can't tell you I got some great talent. I have nothing to offer you. Just have mercy on me. From no merit of my own. I'm a leper. I'm no good. And I'll stay a distance, but can you at least just say a prayer for me? I've been there before. Calling out. You know what they did? They obeyed him. This is the test here. See how we're talking about good church members. Right? They obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 14, the Lord doesn't do it the way they wanted him necessarily to do it. You ever been there in your life? You ever have a situation and you want to let, and you, want, you just want God to like fix it and you had it in your mind how the Lord was going to fix it and then he decided to do something a little different than what you had planned? And so, you know, maybe they heard the story like, oh, man, he can like spit on the ground and like make an ear and an eyeball and like put it in your face. And, you know, they're thinking, who knows what they were thinking? This guy, there is no limit to this guy's power. And in verse number 14 here, it says, and when Jesus saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. He didn't heal them. He said, go and see, see the priests. You know what most of us would say? 
What am I going to go see him for? I've still got leprosy. I'm not even supposed to get close to him. I, I just told you to go see the priest. Yeah, but you don't understand, Lord. I can't go see the priest until I'm cleansed from my leprosy. So can we deal with that problem first? You see that? Mine's really quiet. I know that you've, you've, you, have, uh, you, have, you have absorbed a lot of preaching. All right? And so, so, so I'm, not, I'm not just like trying to garner a response. So I understand you're probably full. And I'm trying to wrap up real quick here so you can go get some rest. But just let's stay with me while I'm preaching right now, okay? All right? So listen, listen. They're saying we need to deal with this thing called leprosy first. But you know what we find out? They never put a rebuttal to what the Lord told them to do. It says, and it came to pass that as they went. You know what that means? He said, go see the priest. And they said, yes, sir. And they started down the road with no promise of being healed, no evidence that they would be healed, just the, just the orders, go see the priest. That's it. That's all they had. That's all the light they had. Don't you know that's the way the Lord's going to lead you? The Lord's going to give you, he's not going to show you everything he's going to do. He's going to give you a little bit of light so you can take one step of faith. That's how faith works. He doesn't expect you. Listen, he doesn't expect you to like know what the mountaintop is going to look like. All he expects you is to take that one step that he reveals. See, a lot of times we think that, oh, if I follow the Lord by faith, it means that I've got to, you know, go to the deepest, darkest forest of Africa. or I got to do this. I got to do that. No, no, no. You know what it is? It's simply doing what he reveals to you to do right now. That's it. Oh, that? Well, that's, that's. There's no guarantee. It's just, a, it's just a little thing. You know, oh, you thought it was about the ministry. No, no, no. It's just about your job. No, it's just about, you know, your, it's just about your spouse. It's just about your kids. It's just about something like that. And it's just a step. Yeah. Go see the priest. Yes, sir. No argument. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They just went and they turned and they started down the path toward where the priest was. They obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that, if we were to describe what you should be as a church member, wouldn't we say these things? You need to desire the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, you need to desire him. Not only do you desire him, listen, you need to respect him. Show some respect. Clean it up, man. Clean up your life, right? You need to pray. You need to call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to obey him when he shows you what to do. And you know what happens? Verse number 14, man, they got a heaping of a blessing, man. The Lord put it on them. You know what the Bible tells you? It just says, and they were cleansed. It's funny how the littlest step of faith can unlock the greatest of blessings. It's amazing that just a little bit of obedience in your life, God can do something miraculous without explanation. He rewards the little steps of faith. And they saw that here. Isn't that what we want? We, listen, we want to see the blessings of God. I, I'll speak for myself. I want to see the blessings of God in my life. <coughs> the preacher who preaches to a congregation, what he wants, the ones he's preaching to, to receive the blessings of God. Given these, given these uh, 
um, these, uh, these steps here that they followed. You know what? The testing of faith is absolutely necessary. 100% everything that's, that these uh, lepers did, it's 100% necessary for you and I to learn from each and every step that they took up to this point. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, but without faith, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the faith chapter, it says without faith is impossible to please God. For all those that come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them, diligently seek him. And that's exactly what they did. But see, the passage teaches us that there's something else. It's kind of like when you read over there the church of Ephesus and they got, all, they got everything right, you know. But he says, but there's one thing. There's, you got all this stuff right, but there's this one thing that you got to work on. Because you know what this text teaches us? It teaches us that you can pass the test of faith and you can fail the test of gratitude. You can pass the test of faith and you can miserably fail the test of gratitude. You know, gratitude and thankfulness in a church will solve a multitude of problems. When I say a multitude, I venture to say almost all. One thing. You could listen in here tonight, you could you could have checked off every box that we just that we just preached on. And if you cannot check off this next box, it'll be problem after problem after problem after problem after problem, and you'll say, Well, I'm doing all this stuff, Lord. Why is everything going wrong? Why do I got problems with this person? Problems here and problems there. What's all the problems about? I've done everything you've asked me to do. He's showing us here the truth of gratitude. Verses 15 to 16, we see, we catch a glimpse of the truth that's contained in this thing of gratitude. In verse number 15, it says, in one of them. You know what? The first thing we see is the importance of gratitude. Guess what it is? It's rare. It's rare that people get their minds wrapped around how important gratitude is in your Christian life. Now, can I tell you this? There's different levels of this thing. <laughs> anybody, any, anybody ever, uh, you know, uh, seen somebody who's in a rush, right? And, and like you give them something and they're like, oh, thanks, bye. <laughs> is that person grateful? It's debatable. <laughs> At least they said it. There's some people don't even say it, <laughs> Right? <laughs> Right? There's the reluctant thank you. You ever got like, you know, socks on Christmas or something like that, you know? You're like, thanks. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'll add this to the other 150 pairs I've gotten from you over the years that I'll never wear. <laughs> right? I remember my mother-in-law, she, uh, she worked for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. My wife's uncle used to own the, the one down in Indianapolis. And uh, she, was, she was well known for never buying a gift ever. To this day, she's getting better now because she doesn't work for me anymore. So she has to, you know, shell out to like give you a gift. And uh, <laughs> like literally he would come to Christmas and there'd be trash bags instead of wrapping paper. And it'd be, it's like, I pulled this out of somebody's house. It's real nice though, <laughs> right? And it was like, thanks, that's great. You know, 
her mom, we called her Grandma B. She, she'd come here a bunch of times before she passed away a couple years ago. You'd see her. She'd come in in her, you know, walker or wheelchair there towards the end before she passed. She'd come and sit down with us here and see the kids. Sweetest lady in the world. She loved going to ceramics. Her highlight of her day was going to ceramics class and painting ceramics. And I'm going to tell you something. There wasn't a birthday, a Christmas, a Thanksgiving, a St. Patrick's Day, where you didn't get a gift of a painted ceramic, and that was family-wide. And can I tell you something? There's only so many places you can put painted ceramics in your house. I'm telling you. I remember one time she, she thought it was the greatest thing. She painted a bunch of ceramic angels. You know, the real weird-looking lady ones with wings. And Bible believer, you're like, ah, they don't have wings, you know. <laughs> and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, honey, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and the thing was, is like, you know, it was like blonde hair, blue eye angel, blonde hair, blue eyed angel. And then we got like the brunette with brown eyes, and it looked like the devil herself. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at my wife, and we brought it home, and I was like, oops. <laughs> on the tile floor I'm like oh and it smashed I'm like oh honey look at what happened to the angel you know when I got that gift you know what I said thank you this is wonderful was I actually thankful for that absolutely not <laughs> you know the funny thing was is she knew she was going to die so she painted a bunch up. We're still getting ceramic gifts from the grave. That's a woman that was dedicated to her ceramics. I still get Grandma B presents from Grandma B, and it's some ceramic thing. I'm thinking, she's been dead for years. How is this happening? She's not sending them from heaven, you know? The Lord wouldn't let her paint uh, an angel with wings in heaven. Lighten up. It's funny, okay? Just relax. Angels don't have wings. <laughs> throw that out there. I got to hurry up, man. But you know, he says one of them. You know what that is? That's 10%. You know what? I couldn't help but see, because we're talking about, uh, Brother Spurgeon was talking about, you know, made up statistics and stuff. He even quoted the statistic that in churches, a lot of times it's what, eight to 10% of the people do, you know, 90 or hundred percent of the work in a church. I couldn't help, but whether they're made up statistics or not, how close that number is to the amount of people who truly get their mind wrapped around being grateful. I wonder if there's a correlation to the people in the church that do the most work. Are they the ones that they're most grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for them? Amen? Amen. I don't know, but I know this. The Bible has a lot to tell us about just being thankful. I won't go into a full-depth discussion tonight because I want to get you out of here, but you know thankfulness is connected to vanity in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about being a queer and all that different stuff he talks about he says and when they, when, when they knew him as God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful right. and then he says it says and then they were uh, the vanity of their minds they became vain in their thinking right. you want to know what happens when you're not thankful you're so gripped by material things then all you see is the world that's all you see you become fixated on it and achieving more and getting more and 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 you become vain in your imaginations. That's the byproduct of not being thankful. 
Thankfulness is, is, uh, <clears throat> exposes your prayer life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. And it says, With thanksgiving. Those are three steps to your prayer. With thank, you don't pray and you don't make supplications without thanksgiving. You make it with thanksgiving. So if you're not inherently a thankful person, your prayer life is messed up. You can't even pray right. But I've done all these other things. Yeah, but you can't even pray right because you're not thankful. Not only that, thankfulness is connected with the will of God. We were to raise, have a show of hands tonight. I say, anybody here want to, don't, don't do it, but anybody here want to know the will of God for your life? Everybody raise your hand. Of course you do. You say you do. Well, let me give you a little hint. Let me give you a little hint. You ready? It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18, verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of, Christ, or the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know the will of God for your life? Be thankful. Be thankful. Be careful to thank the Lord. And finally, take your Bibles, keep your hand here, but take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 6. You know what else I can tell about thankfulness? Thankfulness is a barometer of your spiritual maturity. And it has to do with dealing with one another, with your fellow man. Luke chapter number 6, look in verse number 30. <clears throat> 31, and as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. There's your golden rule. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thanks have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good to that, uh, uh, do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall uh, shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You know what? Sometimes we do as church members when we're not thankful, we become cliquish. Yeah. We become cliquish. I just want to hang out with people that like me and do the things that I like. Right? Isn't that just what it said? He says, if you do that, what thank have you? What, 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 what does that benefit you if all you do is hang out with people that are exactly like you? Because guess what? Lost people do that too. Lost people do that too. But he says, you want to know the joy of being in this congregation, the joy of being in a church is guess what? There's a bunch of people that may not always think like you think. They may not all have the same opinions. And you know what I can tell about spiritual maturity? That if you are constantly in combat with somebody else or if you're cliquish and you have your little clan that you run with and you don't want to talk to somebody else because you're always talking to these folks and you don't really have it and you're this, this kind of like separatist that's amongst this congregation, you know what I know? You're not thankful. You're not thankful. It directly shows us your level of spiritual maturity. You say, well, I never thought about it that way. Being thankful is a pretty big deal. Amen. According to the Bible. Amen. You know what? In these two little verses with this one, this 10% guy here, we see what true thankfulness requires and what it looks like. We see that gratitude requires reflection. In verse number 15, it says, when he saw, he was healed. 
You want to know something? You'll never be thankful if you don't take time to reflect on what God has done for you in your life. It's not a coincidence that God says, just go, turn around and go. You know what happens? Sometimes, listen, sometimes it takes time for God to work in you that miracle he wants to work in you. And he tells them to go. And I don't know how far they traveled before the leprosy came off and the fingers started growing back and the nose started popping back on. And this amazing transformation took place on the road to go see the priest. I don't know how far they were walking. But I know this, however far it was, this guy had to stop for a second and say, wait a second, I'm not limping on my right side anymore. And I got all 10 fingers and I don't have that white spots all over my, wait a second. I'm not the same as I was down there at the beginning of the trail. And now, now look at me. Now look at what God has done. I can't believe it. I remember I was living like this way back here and it was horrible and I loathed myself. I didn't want nothing to do with me. I hated me. Everybody else hated me. And now I'm over here and I can't even believe what happened. I'll never forget that after the first few months of Bible college, I remember laying on my bed and just reading the Bible, man. I went down there two weeks before I'm in a bar in Canada just doing whatever in the world I wanted to do. And two weeks later, I find myself in Pensacola Bible Institute on my belly on a bed. I was homeless. (laughs) I was homeless for about two weeks while I was down there living on other people's couches. Finally got a place to stay. Got me into a bedroom with two or three other guys that were in this house. And I'm sitting there on my bed and 10 pages would turn into 20 pages and would turn into 50 pages, would turn into 80 pages. And I started eating that book up, man. And I remember I went home for this just summer, summer break and I went up home and all of a sudden I remember being in a conversation distinctly with my mother and I said, yeah, well, the Bible says, and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit said, what did you say? And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never said that before. <laughs> Since when do I know what the Bible says? <laughs> right? Since when? And you know what? At that moment in time, I'm like, that thing's working. I'm like, that thing is working. And I, a whole time I'm reading and I'm going, I didn't get a thing. I don't know what I just read. I read 80, you ever read 80 pages at a time? You ain't assimilating that much, unless you're, you know, Dr. Ruckman or something. Maybe he could read 80 pages at a time and he catch it all. Me, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what I read, you know? But you know what? I was like, eh, it's not doing any good, not doing any good. And then a few months go by and I, and I start saying, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. I'm thinking, wait a second. It's getting in there and it's doing something that I didn't see. And I've walked down the path a little bit and now I can start seeing my fingers pop back on. I'm thinking, I look a little bit, I sound a little bit different, man. It's not the same as it was down there. But if you never take the time to reflect on what God's done in your life, you won't be thankful. You got to take some time to reflect. You know what? Gratitude results in repentance. The Bible tells you that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. See, a lot of us, we think that it's the wrath of God that leads men to repentance. Could I submit to you that that's contrary to Scripture? No, you know what the Lord likes to do? He likes to let you flounder and fail and mess up and do the wrong thing and make the wrong decision and walk down the road and walk down the road And all of a sudden, the finger pops back on, and the white spot goes away. (laughs) And you say, wait a second. I've been so bad, but God, you have been so good to me. 
in spite of myself, in spite of all the things that I do continually. And all of a sudden you say, Lord, and you know what the Bible tells you? It says that he turned back. You see that in the passage? It says he turned back. That's what repentance is. It's a changing of direction. And so he's going and he says, wait a second. I got to go the other way. I got to turn I got to turn back towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goodness of God causes this man to repent. Just like if you could get to the place where you see what God's done for you and that thankfulness overflows your soul, you know what it's going to do? It's going to drive you to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's going to charge you to change the direction of your life. Gratitude unlocks rejoicing. In verse 15, with a loud voice, he glorified God. You want your shout back? Church, listen to me. I'm not here just garnering a response here. You want to be lively? You want to have the joy unspeakable and full of glory? It doesn't come from the first list of things I told you about. It's unlocked simply through gratification, gratitude, thankfulness. Thank you, God. I'm not what I used to be. Look at what I, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm somewhere in the middle, and it's because of you. <laughs> Thank you for putting me where I am. And man, there was uh, well, who's to say that you entered into my village when you entered into my village? You could have gone to any other village, but you came to mine. And man, I'm just so thankful you came to mine. And all of a sudden, man, you just start boiling up inside. You ever stop your car at a red light and have to do a shout track, you know, run around your car? By that response, no one has done that. I understand. Well, maybe I'm just alone. <laughs> you know, you do the uh, Chinese fire drill, you know, by yourself. <laughs> done that before, man. You want that rejoicing, that joy unspeakable and full of glory? You get a hold on being thankful. Finally, gratitude instills a reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just respect, but a reverence in verse number 16. And he fell down on his face at his feet. What's different than the respect thing that we talked about? The reverence that is given here because of gratitude shows you something about the hierarchy of where Jesus Christ was in uh, comparison to that man. Let me explain that to you. Okay, you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they just keep one up, one up in your conversation? You ever been in a conversation with that guy? Yeah. Amen. And you know what? Listen, you be in that conversation with that person, and at some point in time, somebody has to wave the white flag and say, you know what? He's got better stories than me. That's just all there is to it. Listen, listen. Pastor has better stories than you, okay? Just get it wrapped around your head. Don't, don't even start. Don't start like, oh, yeah, well, look what I've done. The guy's been all over the world, okay? He's been on the back of a ship in the middle of the ocean. You ever know that? <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. I used to swap stories with him. I don't swap stories with him anymore. Now you know what I do? I ask questions to clarify the stories that I'm hearing. That's what I do. Matter of fact, I'm so good at it now. We'll be in conversations where I'm letting him talk and tell stories, and he'll ask me, be like, what's that guy's name? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's uh, Commander Balovich. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That was, that was Master Chief Wonder. Don't you remember? You know? <laughs> I, I've got the names down, man. What are you trying to say? 
You ever give somebody a gift? And that person can give you a gift that's better? And so you start going gift wars? Right? Ever done that before? My, my grandmother and my mom went back and forth. One, one, uh, they, these stupid ceramic cows and chickens they put in their kitchen. Stupid stuff. And every year the cow or the chicken would get bigger. And eventually they're like having to roll the ceramic cow up the stinking stairs. You know, because it's like, oh, I'm going to make sure I give you a bigger one than you got me last year. So my grandma would get chickens and my mom would get cows. And they would just try to one-up each other's chicken and cows the next year. <coughs> it's a whole lot different. When somebody gives you something and there's no way you could ever pay it back. It's a whole nother story. Suppose Elon Musk came to you and gave you a brand new Tesla. $130,000 car, right? He gives you a brand new one. Can I ask you a question? What are you going to give him? What, what are you going to give him? You're going to buy him, a, buy him a gift certificate to Fleming's, you know, steakhouse? You know what I'm saying? Right? You're not going to one-up his gift. You know what this man did? He realized that Jesus Christ had done something for him, that there was nothing that he could do to repay what Jesus Christ gave him, so the only thing he could do was fall flat on his face and worship him. It was a submission to, Lord, I'm nothing and I don't deserve this, but I'm so, th just thank you because I cannot repay you for this. Thank you. It was, it was the deepest form of gratitude that he could give was his worship and his submission to him because there was nothing he could give him back in return. That's gratitude. That's thankfulness. That's thankfulness. But the final thing, and this is the message, there's an unfortunate tendency that we see in man in verse 17 and 19. Verses 17 and 19. <clears throat> Jesus speaks up and says, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are the nine? How come only 10% come back and make it a point to take the trip back and stop what it is they were doing and the pursuits that they had with their newfound liberty? To stop, turn around, and go say, thanks, Lord. How come only one out of the ten? How, where are the nine? He asks the question. <clears throat> and he says here to unlock this lesson, he says, There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. In verse 16, it's very important that the Bible points this out, that he gives us a little bit of information that this man that came back was a Samaritan. Don't you know that whoever these lepers were, although they were in Samaria, <laughs> the regions of Samaria, and we know that there was no love lost between the Israelites and the Samaritans. We know that. <clears throat> that they would have found this fellowship together, and not all of them were Samaritans. I bet you nine of those were, were Israelites that had leprosy and ended up leaving the camp, and they just went wherever they could go. And you know what, you know what the, the, you know what the issue was? Is that these guys, these guys knew what it was like to be back in Israel 
back in the good graces of society. They had a taste of what it was like. And could you take just that mental walk down there with me? And here's Jesus Christ, and he sees these ten men, and he walks up to them, and, 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 he's, and they say, Hey, Lord, have mercy on us, have mercy. There's ten of them, and boy, they're all just equally as passionate. But there's nine of them. You know what? They know what it's like to be in the good graces. They were probably born in Israel, underneath the Israel customs. They knew what they had. And when they got leprosy, man, they lost their families their wives, their kids, all of it's gone. And they're outcasts. You know what? The Lord Jesus Christ heals these guys. And they start walking their separate ways and they're going to see the priests. And man, they're excited. They're like, we got our lives back, man. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go home and I'm going I'm to wrap my mama or my daddy up in a hug and I'm going to say, look at me, I'm healed. Because guess what? Once you were diagnosed with leprosy, there was no cure for it. There was no goal. There was no reinstatement back into the regular routine of life once you got leprosy. It was a death sentence while you yet lived. And I can see them in my mind's eye, boy. They're like, okay, we're going to go see the priest. We're going to go see the priest. And they just start hauling down this trail. And before you know it, man, the skin starts coming back and the digits start coming back and their, their joints start moving better and the pain goes away. And it's like, oh my goodness, man, I'm back to what I used to be. And they see all the stuff that they have. And they're like, I'm running back to it. It's mine. I know what it's like. And they're so, they have the, the, their way of life so ingrained in their head because of how they were raised that they forget that there's somebody at the other end of the trail. And they call this man, they said, they noted it, he was a Samaritan. You know what? He wasn't raised like that. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't have the background, the lineage that they did. He didn't know what it was like. And you know what? He stops What am I doing here? Because yeah. I don't, okay, I'm clean. What else do I have to go back to? You see that? I'm clean now. And you know what? He's looking back into this, he's looking back into Samaria going, what's there in there for me? There's nothing there for me anymore. Why would I want to go back there? Bunch of stinking reprobates. Treating everybody like garbage and lasciviousness and just wickedness. I just got a taste of something that was so holy. Virtue came out of that man and touched me. And I don't want to go back there. And he stops dead in his tracks. And he turns around and he heads back to the Lord Jesus. You know what? The unfortunate thing is we have a tendency sometimes to be so used to the good life that we sometimes forget to be thankful. We become so accustomed to what we have that we forget to be thankful. Hey, if you're, uh, he, they, they, he, took a, he took a poll. 
How many second generation Christians, first generation Christians, so on and so forth, right? It has not, I'm not saying anything about that tonight. What I'm saying is, is you want to know something? Sometimes you get into a fellowship, you get into a church like this, and you just don't, you just don't realize how good you have it. You're accustomed to something that's very rare. And the tendency that we have sometimes is to not be as thankful as we should be. And uh, it was during Christmas time, and I'll end with this. It's Christmas time this year. And, you know, I like, I love Christmas. I told you that in the past. I know what it's like to go through Christmas and have zero dollars, nothing. Broke as a joke. I've told you the story before. Brother in this church, it's Christmas, you know, right before Christmas, and we had church service, and, man, I was, I was tore up, man. Had no money. And walk in the back of the church, brother says, come out to my van. And I walk out to my van, and that brother pops his van. It's a bunch of toys he went out and bought and wrapped them, and he put our names on them. He says, you go put these underneath your tree for your kids. I'll never forget that. Not ever in my life, what that family did for us that year and what that meant to me as a father and as a man and all those things, how humble that was to, to, to do that. But, man, just to see... Just how good God's people can be to you. Amen. But you know what I know something? The Lord's been real good to us, man. He's been real good to us. And I was sitting the kids down this year for Christmas, and, man, we were able to spurge, spurge a little bit on our kids this year, and we got them some pretty cool gifts, huh? That's right. You better say yes, son. <laughs> There'll be another illustration next time if you don't. <laughs> Remember I sat you all down? You remember this? I sat them all down and I said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I brought up this story. I started telling the story of the, of the where of the nine. And I said, you want to know something? The Lord Jesus Christ, he does things. You realize that Jesus Christ, can, he doesn't want to withhold anything from you. Jesus Christ is a good father. And I can say this as a father, you know what? I love to give my kids the best that I can give them. I enjoy the fact that I, I want to give my kids the best that I can afford. I want to, Listen, that's what I want for my kids. And I hope that you want the same for your kids. Amen. Right? And so I know what we were able to get and, and what we had down in the basement. They didn't know that. And, and I'm prepping them for Christmas, you know, because I started sitting there telling the story. I said, you know, in the passage, Jesus Christ, he knew they couldn't repay him. So the question then becomes, what is it that Jesus Christ was looking for? He says, where are the nine? What was he looking for? And I think about myself, you know. I buy these gifts for my kids. Am I expecting my kids to give me another gift? (laughs) Am I expecting my kids to wrap something for me and put it underneath the tree? No. No. The gifts that I want to give to my children, the presents I want to give to them, the things I want to give to them, they can't repay me for. It's impossible for them to repay me for that. Right? I don't expect that. But you want to know what I want on Christmas morning when they come downstairs and they run down and they look underneath the tree and they see the gifts and they see the big boxes up there against the, against the fireplace? It's that joy on their face 
And it's when they open it up and they go, man, that was what we were going through the store. And I never thought in a million years I could get that gift. And here it is sitting in my living room and it's got my name on it. And it's that joy and it's that, it's, that, it's that light that comes on their face and that excitement that they have. And it's that, oh, it's like, oh my goodness. That's what I want. You say, what's that? That's my gift. You know what the nine did? They robbed the Lord of what he wanted. And what was that? He wasn't expecting, listen, all that stuff we talked about at the beginning, that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff. The testing of your faith and the, and the doing this and doing and obeying and all that. Listen, that's all well and good. Right? I really appreciate it when my kids do their chores. I love it. Right? I love it when they do their chores. And he takes the trash out. She does the dishes. It takes her four hours. I get it. It's cool. But I appreciate when they do the work that they're supposed to do. But you want to know something? I don't get the most joy out of when they do their chores. You know what I get the most joy out of? When I go out of my way and I do something good for them, when they light up and they come, and before they even open the box, they come up to me with a tear in their eye and they go, thanks, Dad. Thank you so much. I didn't even, I didn't even think this was possible. And you know what that does for me? Boys, oh boys, that just, that does something for me, right? The Bible says that God gives us all those things richly to enjoy. You know what our tendency is sometimes is we have it so good. We have so much, right? We fail to give the Lord back what he wants, and that's our gratitude, our never-ending gratitude, Thankfulness should encompass your life. You know, I've never not wanted to work with somebody who is thankful. You always want to be around somebody who's thankful. You know what I found out about being thankful? I found out that if you're thankful, you're more pro, you're, when somebody does something for you, you're more prone to like them. If someone appreciates something you do for them, you know what you're more prone to do? You're more prone to pray for them. If someone appreciates what you do for them, you know what? You're more prone to want to do something for them. So listen, checking off the list is all good. But you want to know what we need to do as a church when it comes to our spiritual maturity with one another and going into serving the Lord and whatever the Lord has for us in 2023? May the thing that we keep in the forefront of our mind is Man, Lord, thank you so much for what we have. And whatever the Lord gives us or takes away, thank you for what you've done. I didn't deserve the least of your tender mercies. You've been so good to me, I couldn't ask for anything else. But man, Lord, you keep giving. And as long as the Lord's given, and as long as the Lord is in my life, and I have the presence of God in my life, whether good or whether bad, I want to put the joy on his face by being quick to say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate you. There's nobody better than you. Nobody could do for me what you've done for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And help us not as a church to ever fall into the trap of being unthankful. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church tonight. Thank you for the people that have come. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to be thankful. 
Lord, I speak for myself tonight when I say there is no one in this world that could do for me what you have done for me. And Lord, I want to, in front of all these people, Lord, say thank you. Father, thank you for taking a snot-nosed kid out of upstate New York and the backside of nowhere on a dairy farm, Father, and bringing me all the way across the country, Lord, and putting me in a little church in Dayton, Ohio with these people. Father, thank you. Thank you for my pastor. Thank you for my friends, Lord. Thank you for these people. Lord, I want to be a thankful person. I don't want to take anything for granted. Father, I want to bring a smile to your face, and I realize that, Lord, there's no amount of service that can bring you more joy than just simply me giving you thanksgiving for what you've done. I can do nothing greater than to just simply thank you for what you've done for me. Father, bless your people now as they pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.